Tech Show. I'm Mike Seymour. We are going down small and uh, having a look at Ant-Man Marvel's, I called it, heist film. Uh, it's the film that uh, is obviously a continuation of the pattern of uh, smaller films that feed into the bigger films. Uh, this one is setting the, uh, I guess, the... Uh, setting the agenda for what will come with uh, Ant-Man joining the other Avengers in the ever-growing Marvel financial empire. I'm sorry, a Marvel uh, action universe. <laughs> I'm joined on the line uh, by Matt Leonard. How are you, Matt? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well indeed. And uh, Jason Diamond, how are you? Great. So uh, a couple of people said that we didn't introduce you guys enough, and uh, I apologize about that. Uh, so just uh, every once in a while, we're going to do a rundown on who our hosts are, our co-hosts are. You guys all know me, so we don't have to do me. Um, but uh, if I get you guys just to give a quick uh, pricey of where you are in the world and what you're up to, um, just so that uh, everybody knows. Uh, so start with you, Matt. I am over in uh, Vancouver in uh, the west coast of Canada, and I'm... Uh, working at MPC in uh, as kind of their lighting trainer. So I spend most of my day in Katana and Renderman doing various kind of lighting training things. Katana is pretty powerful, isn't it? We should uh, talk about that a bit more at some point, but uh, it's just been really interesting for me to watch Katana move uh, to where it is at the moment, which is uh, actually got all sorts of interesting uh, opportunities into uh, real time as well as just uh, traditional stuff. So it's definitely a growth area. Uh, and what about you, Jason? Uh, I'm in good old New York City. Excellent. And uh, doing, uh, you know, directing and producing as my brother and I do as the Diamond Brothers. Um, getting into VR over the last couple months with a, uh, building out a big five uh, dragon rig. Excellent. In fact, I sent you, um, for, the, for you guys listening, I sent uh, Jason a screenshot from a red being used on stage for an Autodesk uh, VR. It was actually an AR. Microsoft, really right? What was it? Yeah, it's Microsoft HoloLens. But, HoloLens, uh, yeah. Uh, it was a demo. So what they basically did is they were showing this uh, technology, which, of course, if you're not so familiar with it, is the idea that instead of VR, which is an enclosed headset, it's AR. It shoots uh, an image onto a screen in front of your eye that matches what you're seeing with the world. So it looks like things are superimposed. So if you're looking at a blank desk, you might see a chessboard on the blank desktop. Um, but they were mocking this up with this uh, red camera with a whole bunch of stuff on it. And they had a really good screenshot of the sort of a uh, uh, cam operator holding this thing. And I started emailing people like my good friend Jason to say, hey, what do we reckon is sitting on that camera? Did you ever work out what you thought the lens was they were using on that? Seemed pretty wide. Uh, it looked like a Canon lens. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Uh, I would imagine. I think it wasn't super wide based on the footage that I saw from the. I've seen that that presentation. Uh, I would bet it was a thirty-five. Yep. Ish, somewhere in that zone. L series. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. thing about the actual presentation, and this is obviously a huge aside before we get going, but. Uh, I would not take as gospel what they were seeing from the red camera ah. as being indicative of what was <laughs> happening on the guy's headset. Okay. Uh, for two very good reasons. Uh, one of them is field of view. Uh, I know on fairly good authority from people that have worn the hollow lens gear. Uh, you know, it's at a prototype stage, so don't get me wrong, this is completely uh, valid, but uh, it's not quite as wide. So, in other words, you don't see superimposed things uh, anything but a kind of a narrow window straight ahead of you. And then the second right. thing is that um, the a real trick with this technology will be to, uh, well, there's two actually. One is to have the focus correct. So if I'm focused on my desk, the holographic image that I'm seeing projected on my little piece of uh, thing in front of my eye, which is, of course, tracking to the desk, 
but it needs to be focused at the desktop as well. And so if I focused out at a meter with my natural eyes, um, the image has to be at the same focal point. But if I look off to the distance, uh, to near infinity, and want to see some other virtual reality thing out there, that would have to be focused differently. So that's dynamic focusing. And then the, the final thing is um, the opacity, which is the one that I think is a real giveaway. There was this demo and this guy was looking at a, at a motorbike and it was very opaque. So in other words, if you had the chessboard on the table, you don't see the table, you just see the chessboard and you can't really see through to the table. And, and getting an opacity map that works that well, I think is a really difficult problem for any of the AR guys. So yeah. kind of interesting, but uh, it was always fun picking things apart. It's a bit like we do with here on the VFX show, picking stuff apart, trying to work out exactly what's going on. Did you did you think that was a piece of the connect on the front of that thing, or could be? You were said a power supply. It looked like the connect to me. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Um, I mean, the technology that Microsoft is mocking up is a combination of real time tracking uh, and. And mocking it up is pretty easy, right? Real-time tracking, real-time rendering, and you just slap comp one on top of the other, and there you go. You've got the chessboard sitting on the desk. Now, you have to render it in real-time because as my head moves, it needs to be rendered from different points of view, and you need to be able to work out where the table is to work out where to render it. The real hollow rig has to also then uh, solve these other problems of then um, doing the uh, focus and doing the... Um, uh, the opacity uh, mapping that works correctly for your eye and vision and stuff, as well as understanding what you might be doing and interacting on cursors and stuff. I think that they're going in the right direction, but I think Microsoft is putting together the demo with existing tech and stuff that's coming in Windows 10 and some genuinely new software that they're writing. Don't get me wrong, it's not a, it's not a fake out, but it just looks so advanced in the demos and I'm not 100% sure it is quite as advanced as that. The only other really cool demo I've seen lately, which gets it back to film, is the uh, Star Wars demo with that uh, uh, ball robot that um, they've had at a few trade shows. Have you seen that? You know, yeah. The, the droid yeah, yeah. that is... Um, BB-8? Is that yeah. One? Now, that's a really cool piece of... Somebody's yeah. worked hard to make that sucker work. Magnets, man. Magnets. Oh, wow. So, I think that's really impressive. Anyway, this week we're discussing uh, Ant-Man and... Uh, bef- as we do in each show, we're going to do a quick rundown on what we think of the film, and then we'll jump to the visual effects, which, of course, uh, are impressive and in, uh, in covered in a FX Guide article called uh, Ant-Man Marvel's Heist Film, uh, which you can see over at fxguide.com. What do you think, Matt, of the film? Do you like it or not? Uh, well, this film, in my mind, fell into the same category that Guardians did, which was I kind of wasn't really looking forward to seeing it, but I thought I probably ought to. And like Guardians... Two minutes into the movie, I was loving it. So I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was probably the funniest of all the Marvel films that they've done so far. Uh, I thought it was well written and um, all the cast were, were excellent. So yeah, really enjoyed it. I thought it was way lamer actually than, uh, than Guardians. I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't think it was particularly... I mean, I wouldn't have, certainly wouldn't have put it up there with Guardians. Guardians did totally surprise me and I, and I did like it and I didn't expect that I did. I imagine it'd be their film that jumped the shark, but... I don't know it. Uh, yeah, what do you think, Jason? Well, Guardians is a, on a, such a bit much bigger scale that they're not comparable. I think in terms of uh, overall tone, because Guardians comes kind of comes up and down a lot more. I I enjoyed it actually. I was really I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan, as you know from our Scott Pilgrim episode, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and. Uh, I was really, really looking forward to him doing a doing this film because he has such a specific style, and I really wanted to see that sort of 
thrust onto the Marvel universe, and it's there. But this is like, and and Peyton Reed's a good director. I, he he's made some good films. Uh, Down with Love is a great film. Uh, even the breakup and um, Yes Man. You know he he's makes he's a he's a good director, and I don't envy him having to step in with Edgar Wright stepping out, even though Edgar Wright stayed on as an executive producer. And and he wrote the script with Joe Cornish, and Joe Cornish did Attack the Block, which is also a, a great film, uh, and similar to Edgar Wright's style, slightly. So he's stepping into a soup that's not, you know, not fully cooked, but tastes pretty good already, and he's got to be the best garnish in the world, you know. And uh, I think he did a great job, but you just see hints and whispers of what of Edgar Wright's style, like the whole um, thing where Luis tells the story about, oh, my brother's cousin, sisters, whatever, and they do that whole little cool montage where everybody's voice is his voice. And that's like a toned-down version of all the sort of match swish swish cuts and real stylized stuff that Edgar Wright does. Um, so I agree with you. So and, and I enjoyed you know, it overall. I'm not a but, fan of... Scott Pilgrim, as you know, but I thought yes. that voiceover stuff worked really well in this film. Yeah, and yeah, that it's is a great just trick. Such a good, yeah. I mean, it works really, really well. It's just funny. It's uh, engaging. Um, it, uh, yeah, it communicates a lot of stuff without just being quite so uh, uh, boring as to be exposition. No, I thought it was really, really good. Not my favorite like, thing in the film because I'm going to tell you what that is in one second. Yeah, but it was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, but I do like that they're starting to like because the Marvel Universe, cinematic universe, is so established at this point that they can really be self-referential as they should be because they're creating a world that people should know. So when when Scott Lang says he's a huge fan of the Avengers, like, that stuff really works for me. And when he says, like, oh, they're dropping cities out of the sky, you know, referencing Avengers yeah. 2, like, I, I like that, that they're doing that. And they're just lines, right? They're not. I mean, obviously, he goes to the Avengers facility and he meets uh, the Falcon and whatever. But um, it still has a it still has a lighter sort of like oh, yeah. fanboy tone to it from from Scott's perspective. When he says, I, "What should we do?" and he goes, "Call the Avengers," yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because that's what you'd say. Otherwise, we'd be sitting here saying, "Hang on, if this happened, wouldn't it be the first thing you'd say is let's call the Avengers?" Exactly. Yeah, um, um, and Paul Rudd is the, is is great as the he's not the guy you would normally put in this role. He's like the he's like you know second Chris Pratt. You know what I mean? Like you know, good comedic actors that can do. You know, he's maybe slightly less dramatic of an actor, but he can pull it off, and he has definitely has great timing. Oh, he does. I I think I prefer Chris Pratt, and in in the Marvel universe, like I think his character, his delivery, his everything. He just. Yeah, I think he stole the show. I don't think um, that's quite the case here. That it, it's good, but uh, anyway, you know, it's it's for me. It was there were some really funny bits and there was some uh, good action. It did feel kind of a bit small. Um, I I almost it's a narrow play. story, really. I mean, yeah, I kind of thought reality. Here's my theory on this, right? I think that they got about everyone and their dog in the next um, Captain America film. Captain yep. uh, film has, I think, not got Fury and not got somebody else like a Hulk or somebody, but just about everybody else is in it, right? That's Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. And I was, I was sort of thinking to myself, it would actually been cooler had they given an extra character to this one. Like you know, uh, we had 
really good stuff in what was the second Captain America where you had Black Widow in there and you know just felt a bit more this did feel really off to the side and there was I I felt Falcon wasn't integrated enough it felt like a real kind of side thing added on yeah. it was would have been better if there'd been um maybe a couple more uh Marvel characters just appear. In you know, in the way uh in Thor, Captain America suddenly appears when um Loki does impersonation of him. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was really well done. And I think that that was what I was missing. I was like it was like, okay, we're gonna go and have an Avengers bit now. Now it's finished. And I would have like, yeah, it would have been kind of better if uh, you know, Tony Stark's car had suddenly pulled up at the end or something. Just the I don't know. There's been a bit more sort of overlap in the universe rather than sort of a yeah. A nod. I did like the you know uh, John Slattery up at the top, you know, with uh, to really set up that was him, good. Yes, you know what I mean as a as a guy. Well, and uh, an Agent Carter, just uh, yeah. No, so that I would wanted I wanted more of that, I guess, and and yeah. that is now a good segue into the visual effects because I've got to say that was the thing about this film that moved it from. I wouldn't recommend it to I recommend it wholeheartedly, which is Lola's de-aging and Michael Douglas in the film's opening scene. Uh, I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know, I drink Lola's bathwater. Like, those guys <laughs> are just such good compositors. It is humbling to watch these guys work. Uh, I mean, their work on Captain America in having Skinny Steve was jaw-dropping. Oh, yeah. And uh, to this day, I think, you know, deserves some kind of special Oscar because it was just made that film... I mean, that the film was less interesting after they stopped doing that. Um, uh, but having said that, like we've seen de-aging before. We've seen it uh, from them in a bunch of films. And yet I don't know I've seen one that's a better de-aging than this. I remember the X-Men uh, with um, the beginning sequence. It was what, the third X-Men film uh, mm-hmm. when they had uh, uh, the Professor and um, yeah, yeah. Magneto de-aged. But this, I don't know, I just remember... Michael Douglas so well from that period of Wall Well, that's Street. the thing. That's why it works is because Michael Douglas is now old enough for you to have remembered him from Romancing the Stone when he was a young, handsome guy, and now he's an old guy. But you have that young memory so firmly planted in your brain that when you see him young, you, you know it. You know what I mean? You're not like, oh, well, I didn't know what Ronald Reagan, like I don't have Ronald Reagan young in my mind, but oh, look, they de-aged him. That's good. You know what I mean? You don't have as, as strong a point of reference, I think, for other people, which is why this one works so well, because they nailed it so close to what you know he looks like as a young guy. I mean, this is like a really, really hard problem. I mean, I went through in the article and sort of hit Lola pretty hard to kind of get specific on it, because this isn't just a 3D head that's rendered really well. And if it was it would be one of the best 3D heads ever rendered, right? I mean, it's so realistic because it's based off live action. So how do they do it? They, they just basically do it by hardcore compositing. And I mean, man, as he said in the article, we were talking to them at, um, uh, at Lola, the, the, there's that sequence near the end uh, where he bashes his head into the table, but there's a close-up on Michael Douglas. And uh, we recorded this in the story, but I'm just repeating it. That apparently the team at Lola are all sitting around looking at this shot of Michael Douglas going, don't turn your head, don't turn your head. And then, of course, he whips his head to the to the camera right to make some remark. And then all the Lola guys were like, oh, no, that's going to be so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I really feel yeah. for them. I, I, you know, I just I can't even begin to imagine being get, uh, given these shots and such a familiar face that, 
you know, everybody's going to go, that doesn't look like Michael Douglas, but it does. I, I mean, we've got a still on FX Guide. You can really study it, blow it up, have a look at it, and it's it's good. Now, I think there are a couple of minor aspects that just didn't quite sort of, I mean, if I put it up beside an actual shot from 1984, it doesn't seem exactly whatever. But in the film, I totally bought it. And I'm only now quibbling over it if I was to get into some kind of, you know, if you showed me this and I was testifying in a court whether this was the real Michael Douglas saying this or someone had digitally replicated him, um, I'm at that level. And and by the way, that's where this is going, right? Somebody's going to produce a, uh, not now, maybe not for a few years, but somebody's going to produce some footage of somebody doing something and it's going to be down to a court of law and a bunch of visual effects artists mm-hmm. arguing whether or not that's the real person in the video because... Yep. Uh, wow, I mean, just amazing. The neck on the real Michael Douglas. Take Just Google Michael Douglas at a press event rather than in the film and just look at his neck. I mean, it's like got lots of hanging skin. Look at his eyes. Um, it's just mm-hmm. it's astounding how well, much... Well, he had throat done. cancer. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. totally changes your musculature and everything. And, and they were saying when you get older, you tend to... Your eyebrows tend to droop. So just as a person, you tend to raise your eyebrows more to get them out of the way of your eyes. Mm. So they had to work out what was Michael doing in terms of raising his eyebrows that was performance of an acting choice of raising an eyebrow for an expression and what was being done by an actor who just happens to be a person who just happens to raise his eyebrows because that's what you do when you get to whatever he is, wow. 70 or whatever. I mean, yeah. and, uh, and as, you know, clearly the case, you hire Michael Douglas because he's a really good actor you don't want the visual effects crew to then clobber that performance that is, after all, by one of our generation's, you know, really good leading mm-hmm. men. So it's, uh, wow, just hard yakka. They, they, of course, de-aged the other character or aged the other characters in the scene as well. And um, uh, so it was, uh, what is it, uh, Mitchell Carson? Is that right? The, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And... Uh, Ollie, uh, obviously uh, Peggy Carter. Uh, so that was kind of funny, right? They're, they're aging Peggy at the same time. They're making the other two younger. But um, yeah, that Michael Douglas is the standout, I think. I guess because I just don't know what Martin Donovan looked like that much, you know. And obviously Haley is going the other way. And I think getting someone older is easier than making someone younger. Because again, you've not seen her old. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, though I, I've spoken to makeup guys who just, you know, once for FX PhD, uh, we were thinking of doing some training stuff on on aging and I started to talk to my friends who were makeup and they said no and I'm well hang on a second it's kind of not like you guys to just say no and they're like no people think that aging makeup's easy it's so hard uh, we're just not going to do it it always people complain it looks like a mask so if you do it well you have to do really really heaps and heaps of stuff and it's just we're not up for it uh, we just don't want to do it It's. I mean we'll do yeah. it but you know it costs you a fortune and I was like oh, okay we shan't <laughs> do that then um, so yeah everything about that is uh is some of the best work we've seen this year and, and for compositing. I mean, just really good work. I'm, I've yet to be really disappointed on stuff that's come out of them. I've seen other people de-age things and I haven't liked them. Um, at the end of one of the Wolverine, uh, Professor Xavier appears. I don't think that was done by Lola. Do you guys remember that? At a helicopter at the end of, a, I think, the first Wolverine film? I didn't even watch that movie. I couldn't yeah, and it was it was really not that convincing. Um, and I've seen other companies de-age for commercials and other things, and again, just didn't really uh, sell it for me. But this can, can I point out the thing that I loved the most? I, I mean, there's I agree with you that 
when I left the movie, I called my brother and he's like, oh, how was it? Because I went with my, my son. Yep. And I said, the first thing out of my mouth is the visual effects are jaw dropping. Like, that's it, some of the best visual effects that I've seen uh, in a very long time. And, and, and obviously we see a lot of films with, with really good visual effects, but it's, it's uh, with all the macro stuff and everything, like everything was so perfectly done. In my, you know, in the general sense, um, but the thing that I really, that really stuck out to me, that really worked from a story perspective, is the shrinking and growing strobe sort of. Uh, they called it the disco strobe, you know, when he when he would get small and he would leave like echoes of himself. Yeah, like that. That was if good. Wasn't it? If you don't have that, you don't know where he is in space and time, right? Like. He's getting so small that you have to leave these this map, visual map for the audience to like say, okay, I get it, he got smaller. Okay, I get it, he got big. And oh, especially in the, those fight sequences with Yellow yeah. Jacket, where you just it's very much a case of big, small, big, small, big, small. Yeah, and which is what you want them to do, right? But and it's one of the things that I really loved, and and I think uh, I read a I read an article um, with the uh, I think it was the VFX soup who um, had said that that specific look, uh, look dev had been done and signed off on by Edgar Wright prior to him exiting. And it has this look to it that he used a lot in Scott Pilgrim, which is this chromatically aberrated kind of silvery thing. It's like the look they give the gorillas in the video game fight in the band battle uh, with the Japanese brothers and Scott Pilgrim. Like it just has this, it, it feels digital, but it feels like it has like a texture to it and it has this sheen that that um, that they do that just I don't know. It really works for me. Yeah, it's not an easy thing, is it? Because if somebody says to you, can you give me something that shows where the guy came from and, and is going to? You'd be like, I guess I could do streaks, but that's going to be kind of looking yeah. like he's going into warp drive. Um, and these are actually much more sort of strobe flashes uh yeah like echoes echoes yeah no i think it's it's good um that was my favorite thing of the whole what was your favorite thing in the and we've we've scored two of them uh matt what was your favorite thing anything left yeah Uh, (laughs) i would have probably gone for douglas right at the beginning because it was just as you said astonishing i i went to see the movie with my daughter and um afterwards i said well what did you think of uh michael douglas at the beginning and during the movie and she said well he looked great uh, at the beginning, and the aging makeup looked really good for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and I was like, actually, it may have been the other way around. So it, I just thought that was astonishing. But if, uh, if, you've grabbed, <laughs> if you've grabbed that one, then I would probably go with, and it's probably not a super complicated one, but the scene right towards the end where he's escaping after <laughs> everything. You're going to say the Thomas the Tank Engine, aren't you? I was almost going to say that, but I really like the the white model of the um of what i'm guessing was like the new building with him right. running across that and then yes. shooting that to pieces that looked really i love great. that too that was a good sequence wasn't it yeah so i really like that but thomas you can't really go wrong with thomas the tank engine well i i would have i would have left thomas except for when he's lying there on the road with his eyes still going <laughs> left and right and i actually had that toy for my kids and yeah. so i'm like oh my god <laughs> that's just too funny I don't know how big. How big is Thomas in America? Is he like a thing? I thought I mean, he was a. Really you know, he's a regular train size, but 
Oh, oh, oh! Uh, how big is he in terms of popularity? Oh, he's. <laughs> I thought you meant like in America, he was a different size. I know. Um, he's, so he's popular. Not. I mean, my kid, my kid watched him and watched all the shows and had the the tanks and stuff. Right. I didn't know whether the fat controller was politically um, unsound in America and had been uh, somehow. Uh, no, nope, he's still fat. Okay, good. <laughs> um, yeah. But I wonder. Do you think the white buildings? came out of like uh look development where they were just in that you know in the white bake yeah and they were like oh that looks really yeah that looks really good let's just leave it like that you know (laughs) let's just do that i think it's a good a case of somebody realizing that you need to give somebody something to work with and so giving the uh team that was doing the destruction sims that material on that look yeah let them come up with a really good look plus it actually really helped readability as to where uh, the Ant-Man kind of was. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> my kids saw it as well, and they were like, man, that uh, Yellow Jacket guy, he can get into a suit in a helicopter pretty quickly, can't he? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, there were a couple of things like that that uh, seemed a little... Um, inside a briefcase. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> inside a briefcase. Um, <laughs> I, I think there are obviously massive uh, holes in this story that are kind of absurd beyond belief. Not least of which is, if he knows that that uh, they're against him, why does he tell them, I'm going to put extra security on and close the windows. I'm going <laughs> to tell you everything that I'm doing to make my place so that you can't get into it. So you'll be better prepared to get into it. Uh, if he was really there, yeah. to kill uh, Pim White. Yeah, okay. But um, And there was a couple of lines that somebody had obviously picked up in some point and gone... So why why doesn't uh, Michael Douglas's character do this? Uh, let's put a line in about that. Uh, I can't use it anymore. Okay, good. That's yeah. Fine. Next for the brain, it scrambles your brain. Yeah. So he was brain scrambled. What was How that? about this? What did you think about the subatomic uh, world? Great call. Um, I thought that that was a really valid, uh, unusual choice of way to go, but it was not. What I didn't want to see is the uh, mega dream sequence, uh, you know, kind of faces blurred, drifting off yes. to one side. So having this very precise geometric um, thing is cre- really a, a, a good take on it, I think. Uh, you know, you're going to have to come up with this thing. It's obviously impossible to um, get your head around it because it doesn't work, right? Like, I mean, if he's gone subatomic, then... What's his atoms? I mean, are they sub sub subatomic? I mean, you know, right? Exactly. It doesn't make That's any sense. That's what I was thinking. But uh, and so I was just worried it would become an ether shot, right? Like you've kind of you've dissipated into a, um, you know, whatever. So doing the geometric thing, just I thought was uh, was really really good. I mean, the fact that uh, whatever it was, the was it what did he do in there to get it back? I mean, he pressed the button, but did he? Swap he had a the. Battery or he something? had the. No, he had the oh, the, the discs that disc. made him big and small, and so he put it in his yeah. belt. He replaced the thing in his belt. And right, but I remember thinking that they were operated by a button, right? Um, yeah, he put it in and then he pushed the button. And yeah, so the button would have electricity and so an electron would have to... I was like, you know, what? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but look, it's uh, Ant-Man. I mean, my biggest problem is that the electricity works subatomically, then I'm probably um, thinking about it too hard. I am thinking about it too hard. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I, I guess as I say, worked to me. It's just visually, I didn't have this sort of drifty dream sequency thing that made me kind of go, we've been there before. But what do you think, Matt? I, I liked it. I liked it less as it continued. Once it kind of went into geometric shapes, I didn't like it so much. But the first section I thought was just amazing. I, I loved the look. I loved kind of how it was being edited together. It all felt like it was doing the right thing. 
and it it kind of once he kind of stopped and was floating around and the and um his daughter was calling him it kind of reminded me a little bit um of the old poltergeist movie because it sounded yeah. so similar to that and there'd been an earlier sequence where the um where the the building had kind of done that kind of implode um when they were in the chopper oh yeah destroyed yep. mm-hmm. and again that reminded me very much of kind of the house in that old that old movie where yep. um, it right. kind of sucks into the ground um, but other than those references, I, I really like the beginning, yeah. But once it once it had gone on for a minute and was getting a bit more, I don't know, kaleidoscopy, I was not so keen on it, I guess. But no, that's what I was keen on. I thought it was good that it became this kaleidoscope geometric form. Um, it got down to like the essence of things. I thought mm. it was... Yeah, would they be it's geometric? Like structure beyond structure. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, it was... Anyway, it was original and didn't just predictably go I mean I was a little worried that he was going to find um, the wife there still hanging around in yes. out of yeah, time yeah I was hoping that wouldn't be there either so, oh here you are you've just been hanging around here subatomically for forever <laughs> excellent I will uh, would you like a lift back with me excellent everyone lives happily ever after uh, well you know so so Dineg has done both the you know fifth fifth dimensional gravitational tesseract and uh, sub subatomic you know ether so what's left for them? <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I wouldn't rate this anywhere near the level of jaw-dropping admiration I had for the... Um, Tesseract? The, yeah, I mean, that was... No, but that's a different story. Yeah, board. absolutely. Story totally beat, for different. sure, I mean. But, yeah, the, one of those was uh, considerably more advanced in its sort of intellectual framework. The other one felt more like a graphic design solution, which is fine. I think in this film, graphic design solutions are we needed, right? I mean, you just had to have a a thing yeah um it was a good plot point that he went to the edge and came back kind of thing but uh yeah what do we think about um the sequence in the bath because that's the the classic honey i shrunk the kids sequence isn't it really that scene i really liked um i felt and i don't i couldn't obviously have done any better but the oh in fact it wasn't this sequence it was the the pipe sequence that i struggled a little bit with yeah this sequence was great with the um the water looked great because they have that shot of him uh, running towards camera with the water kind of coming behind him in the in the big um kind of wave so yeah i i really liked it the kind of the as he kind of tossed around and and ended up but obviously once you get into this section you've got all of the macro photography for the um the kind of the chain and the um the plug and things like that and i thought that looked superb more so than probably the the uh, fluids uh, the water fluids just before that water got in there the all the macro stuff just looked stunning i thought i agree i, I like that they went wide like it felt very like the wide angle uh it wasn't this super tiny super shallow depth of field thing you know like you would see from it's like because you were at his height everything was uh was larger Instead of being, you know, macro kind of compressed. Uh, well, that was the point I was going to argue. I was going to discuss with you because that's the the other approach that they themselves used. So when he's with some of the ants, you had really small depth of field. Um, he's in the grass, running through stuff, that kind of stuff. Right. Really, really. Well, because depth you of field. Have, because you have smaller things next to him, like the blades of grass. But when you're in a big giant bathtub, you want to feel the whole space in that in that real kind of wide you know, perspective, it looked like a, 
like a 18 or something. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point, isn't it? Like if we're standing at the bottom of the Sydney Opera House uh, and you are, you know, X yards away from me, then everything's in focus and everything is big and you can see it and the Sydney Harbour Bridge and everything. It's all in focus because it's all um, out past the kind of focal point. If you are, however, looking at a $1 bill with a macro lens and it moves forward or backwards, you know, a mill, it goes in and out of focus. So it's like, is the camera our camera or is the camera his camera? If it's his camera exactly. in his world, then it's super wide and everything's in focus. But I will say this, I think it's harder to sell that world, his camera, his world, wide angle, mm-hmm. everything in focus. That's much harder, harder to sell Agreed. than the other stuff. So it was probably a wise decision that everything wasn't like that. Um, I, yeah, I, well, it also kept it fresh because you, you, you were, it was, it was done without exposition in terms mm. of visual exposition. They just did it. They did what was necessary for the shot and you just went along with it because they did it right they, yeah. they made the right decisions so here's a really interesting point and it, it revolves around the same thing if you compare and contrast the ants as they were uh in the film okay, they're cg right in one point they're micro level or macro level what do you want to call it like you know small ants that he's next to and and they're small normal size but they are just small and they look really realistic it didn't look as realistic when the ant was full size when it had accidentally got made bigger at the house oh, at yeah. the end. And yeah, yet, it was de- sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, it was kind of weird to me because at the end I would have said, oh, that's, that looks faker than, than earlier. And then I started thinking to myself, hang on a second, there's got to be like the same model for crying out loud. It's the same film. It's the same thing. You're just putting one in a doorway and the other one uh in some out of focus blades of grass and that's when i went oh of course it's just i just don't buy this big ant without the depth of field stuff i feel like the big ant was a more of a comedic beat to match the thomas thing and they went slightly less realistic with it so it didn't look creepy that it looked kind of funny and but, fun but hang on a second we're talking about flying ants that had little seats on them and 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 uh and you know yeah but i'm seeing the big one no, no, I know, but what I'm saying is that the the small ones still seem to work, even though you had little, you know, seats on them and little right. stirrups and stuff. For some mm-hmm. unknown reason, they managed to pull that off small and not look ridiculous. Um, because the guy that dies, what's his name? Anthony, isn't it? Um, I love yeah, Anthony. It was the greatest. Yeah, was the sure. great. I'm going to call you Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> but that guy uh, just totally worked. But I don't think we ever saw Anthony not in macro photography mode. Right. And I, I don't think that the shaders or anything were significantly different. I don't... You think that they actually rendered him kind of differently in the big end version? It I don't... Felt, it's... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it felt to me like they dialed back the subsurface. It, it, it looked more... And this isn't right, so forgive me, uh, Dino, for this. But it looked more plasticky and less alive. In the big one. No, I totally agree with you. The question is why? Why do we think it didn't look so good? Because I, I was almost like, that looks so fake. They should have used the real ants they used earlier. Okay, wait a second. They didn't use real ants earlier. They used CG ants. What am I I'm thinking? Saying, I'm saying I think they did that intentionally as a story point to make it sort of more fun and less creepy. If okay. you had this really realistic, hairy kind of weirdo ant, I think it would be scary instead of you have this big thomas the tank thing outside i think they went slightly for the cartoony beat instead Mm, of the realistic beat. that's my feeling 
Okay. But I could be wrong. No, no. I mean, it's a really valid point. I mean, uh, I thought it was contextual. I thought it was a case of me feeling like it was less realistic because it was contextually wrong. You're thinking that they've made a conscious creative decision to go that way. So it'd be interesting. If you run into the guys was, at SIDGRAPH, we should ask them. It looked better in that last shot when it when it came out from under the table to pick up the food from the girl. Yes. It, didn't, it looked better in that shot. So I'm wondering, as as Jason said, as it because it was kind of wandering around in the street, they just thought this could scare the bejeebies out of people if we don't make it a little bit more comical. Right. Okay, so if that is the case... I think it was a bad decision because it took me out of the film. I thought, why does it look so fake? Um, you could do better than this. So, yeah, interesting. I'm, I'd be really interested to know if that was a creative decision or it was a, um, you know, a contextual placement of the character in that. Because it was a dark night scene when he appears at the house with Thomas. That should be pretty good for being able to sell the character. Yeah. Mm. And it's um, interesting, I guess, because we had just seen a regular sized Thomas engine that had then obviously gone super huge and flown out of the the wall. And yet the big Thomas still looked fantastic. So I thought the big so Thomas looked big. Yeah. What about you, Jason? You, you agree with it? Yeah. That? I thought, I thought the big Thomas looked good. And do we, do we think that the Thomas going out of the front of the window was a nod to the Paris train going out the thing a la Hugo? <laughs> it's a very similar, is it like their Odessa steps kind of thing? You know, like, I don't know. Great, great question. Um, it would be a reasonable reference, right? Like, yeah, I need a train coming out of a building. I happen to know that there's somebody that's yeah. got a train coming uh, out of a building. Hugo? Uh, I I really liked the overall bedroom scene. I wish that I had not seen the trailer where they did the Thomas, the tiny Thomas gag, you know, yes. where they're <laughs> fighting the and then they cut wide and you just see yeah. it kind of tip over because it's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that is hysterical. Uh, and I, so that's why I did like that they didn't give up, you know, that when it got big, I was like, okay, there's another beat to it. That What do you that, think of the tank that got big that came out as the keychain? See, I said to my kid, as soon as they saw the tank, I, when they got into that scene and he found the tank in the briefcase or wherever yeah. he, I, you knew he had the tank, I turned to my kid and I said, what else do you think can get big? <laughs> and he's like, the tank. And I was like, well, let's see. And as soon as he said, oh, it's not just a keychain, my kid looked at me and he's like, it's the tank. You know, like, <laughs> uh, I thought that was great. I thought the tank didn't work quite that well. I thought, I mean, it was you only mean as used... an idea or as a visual, oh, visual effect? I'm talking about visual effect, yeah. Like oh, when okay, it dropped yeah. and that chain was off the back of it, the one that is makes it a keychain, Yeah. Uh, it felt to me, uh, I guess there were two things. I don't think they should have had it... F- a tank come out of a top story window and drop down like that. Cause I, I don't in my head think that tanks are things that are good at jumping yes, down a story. Not really. Um, and so that made it an untank like maneuver. Like a tank for me would come out, tilt down f- sort of half full down half a level and then tractor down at 45 degrees and then, and then level up the sort of yeah. breaking through um, Dukes of hazard style and then sort of landing yeehaw just was it for such an untank move that again contextually it was very hard for the team to make that work and then i thought that i'd be interested in your opinion matt i just didn't think that the rendering qualities of the keychain part hanging off the back of it sold it looked 
kind of super fake to me. And I wondered, well, is that just because they've scaled up something that was small, so all the scratches are the wrong sizes or or what? But it again, this is this issue of context. Was it that I'm seeing a pretty good render of a keychain in the environment outside of a building and thus micro scale things made me just think it was wrong? Or does it just not the best day for the guys that were doing the shading on that? I'm The thing that took me out of that was was probably more the the actual animation of the of the 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 chain on the back it felt slightly it didn't feel heavy enough yeah look but the look of it i wonder whether they were going for more of a kind of a cheap plasticky metal look because probably right they're probably if it was a toy one it wouldn't be expensive and i think if you had made it look really plush and and made it look like steel or something you'd be like well it wouldn't look like that when it was like a toy but then you but have see to here's ask. my thing my thing was i in my head assumed he'd shrunk a tank and t- taken it in as a kind of a safety mechanism right and mm, the reason i, I say that done, yeah 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 i would assume so because but otherwise it wouldn't have an internal working mechanism yeah but why right. has it got the chain on then if he well if i don't mind tank. him adding that afterwards he shrinks a real tank puts that on the end of it so he can put it in his pocket and no one asks anything and and that was also picked up wasn't it by uh in the heist when he's yep. trying to break in he picks it up for some reason i can't remember why yeah um yeah, so I, he left the, he left the keys it? out for him to break into the safe yeah oh that's so, right yeah yeah so i'm thinking he took a real tank shrunk it in which case when it comes back to real size it shouldn't look like a toy and it had toy properties. Again, could be a creative decision. Um, he's just blown up this, uh, not blown up, he's, he's expanded this toy. So it should look like a sort of a slightly plasticky toy when it's big. But if that's the case, it fails on all of the mechanical ways that a tank would actually be a useful vehicle of getting out. Yeah, so, you're, you're correct. It's the keychain is the only thing that should look fake, so the, to speak. Yeah, the tank should be a tank. Should be a real tank, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely thought, unlike Thomas, the because uh, you could argue that for Thomas, right? We could argue that Thomas should be a toy made bigger, ergo should look like plastic thing big. But I think the Thomas tank looked completely, believably huge, lying on the side of the road, sat in the shot, was great, yeah. in a way that the tank wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Like there were lots of other things that, that, yeah. uh, that you know, we're, we're screwing with here, obviously, and trying to get logic on stuff but there is there needs to be an internal logic to the film and you should stick to the internal logic once you kind of work it out i think i would also assume if you ditched something that high out of a a building then it would end up in the sewer not just kind of flat on the ground yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the hulk that's the hulk problem right yeah yeah Um, but they never cut back to it did they after that kind of shot looking from behind it you never saw it again i don't think they returned to it driving off or anything it just kind of landed and they no, cut back to the yeah. action. If I'm the guy that did the tank, I'm not putting it on my reel as as the one to show. <clears throat> it might be a great model. Uh, it might be a rendering issue. It might be a shader issue. I don't know. It could be absolutely a creative issue made by the director that he wanted it to look that way, but it just didn't work for me. Um, unlike, I think, so much of the environment work, because clearly the mm. when we're small here, we're not using macro photography, and there was some, um, you know, there is uh, a bunch of CG uh, environment work that was really good. Um, I just never questioned it. Uh, it was uh, it was so good. I, I did I occasionally, like it just seemed a bit absurd, like getting the gang together ant-wise inside the uh, server rooms. Um, by yeah. the way, 
how many times are we going to see server rooms that look like the coolest things on the planet? Anyone <laughs> ever been in a server room? They're like loud air conditioning, dull PC racks. Yeah. The one yeah. in Terminator was the most ridiculously cool thing ever. Uh, and also, who co-locates their render farm? I mean, really? I mean, hello? <laughs> but anyway. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so there are occasions when you get that. But there are other times when he was in training with the, the, with the little ants that I thought, oh, all this environment and the stuff that they're in is really, really good. Which brings us to your point earlier, Matt, about you didn't like the pipe sequence, which is one of those environments. You didn't like the fluids? You didn't like the actual pipes? I, I like the pipes. Um, I didn't like the fluids. It felt, and it, and it wouldn't have been the case because obviously it was done by a superb company, but it felt, and I don't know why, like early kind of like five, eight years ago, fluid sims, the sort of thing you might have got out of real flow years ago. I don't know why, because there's no reason they probably had some super um, updated, uh, probably. How did you think compliant. it compared to the bath water? I thought the bath water worked much better. And I don't know why. It may have been... It was probably really hard to light the water in the pipe because there would have been no <laughs> real well, light was, source down there, right? Yeah, and that was my thing. Like, once they went into the pipes, where was all the light from that they yeah. were all happily enjoying? Um, it just didn't... Fi it felt a little bit too... And again, I don't mean to be disrespectful. It felt a little bit metabolic, a little bit blobby. Yeah, and I'm not quite I thought sure that why. was a deliberate thing because of scale. They were trying to look like it was super close-up water. Right, yeah, that may um, have been the case. And I was more forgiving of that because it at least went with the logic of what was going on. Because you know what everybody does when they're shooting miniatures of water? They spend all their time trying to put micro turbulence on the surface to make it scale. Mm. And in the end, you shoot a miniature of water and it all looks like a miniature of water. Um, so it was so funny that they're doing this fluid sim where you can get it looking like an ocean quite easily and that you're trying to make it look like it's a, you know, a thimble full of water and now it doesn't look realistic. Uh, but it was interesting that the, the ants on top of it, they seem to fit the dynamics of the, of the water really well with obviously him riding them. So I, I liked all that. I loved the pipes, loved the ants, loved Ant-Man on top of them. It was just that the water wasn't, didn't quite seem right. And I don't, I obviously couldn't have done better but i'm not sure exactly what it was maybe it was lighting i mean i think generally the ant animation was a cracker the, yeah, the guys handling amazing. the sugar cubes on top of the table mm -hmm. yeah really nice that was like nice animation i thought all the digital doubles were really good too like the ant-man and yellow jacket fighting like never felt like a little rubber guy you know bouncing around or whatever like it felt like it was like oh paul rudd's in the suit like you know it's CG, but it felt really good. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Rudd also wasn't suddenly really built uh, with a tiny waist and, and bulging biceps either. He was... Right. Yeah. He almost like had that Spider-Man-y kind of quality that he's not yeah. a mega dude. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely, you know, got a little ripped when he took his shirt off. They gave him his, his Chris Pratt moment, but... Uh, I think Chris probably earned his a bit more. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if... Uh, there was a little bit of help there, but yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> what did we think uh, about the fight sequence? Let's go to the fight of Falcon and Ant-Man because it's a bit of a sort of a isolated uh, sequence in the film. What do you think? Did it make sense? Was it... I mean, I kind of liked the premise at the beginning, which was, you know, he can't see me. I can see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also, you've got two goodies fighting. That's always fun, right? Because you don't yeah. really want, as an audience, for either to be humiliated and 
ruined. Yeah, they're, the he, they're you know when two people are fighting and apologizing to each other, it's you know, or yeah. one of them is you know he was like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just like you know I got to do what I got to do, and uh, it felt like it was on stage a little bit. I thought that a little stagey, yeah. Um, I thought that the uh, exterior lighting, Jason, wasn't contrasty enough. It felt like there were too many, uh, like they'd filmed the actors on uh, a, a stage so they had better yeah. lighting. Whereas if you're shooting them outside and it's literally outside, you'd have very high con shadows. Yeah, absolutely. And the edge lighting was yeah. was more diffuse. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what made it feel like a stage, like there was some... Uh, well, not yeah. I mean, like it, it, they were just giving a broader lighting for the for the comp, and then decided to keep it uh, diffused instead of really getting on that edge light. Yeah, I think if they made it more contrasty, harsher, and and uh, the shadows less forgiving, then it would have made the guys look good because that makes people look kind of, you know, sharper, yeah. harsher, and then the fight would have had a bit more edge without anyone having to you know get a bloody nose. Uh, what do you think, Matt? What is the lighting working for you? Uh, it- it was, yeah. It definitely didn't. There was nothing in that sequence that I that I disliked. I I thought it was humorous and, uh, and and good fun. I was wondering whether they had done much wire work in the sequence because uh, it just the way the camera angles came down on Falcon so much of the time. It they were either superb digital doubles, which obviously they would have been in some situations. But I'm wondering whether they did any of the wire work um, or whether they even bother doing that nowadays. I don't I don't know. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I thought it worked really well. The I liked the kind of heads-up display that they used because that kind of helped bring you back into where he was, how he was finding Ant-Man. Because um, obviously it was amusing that, as you said, he could actually see him because um, you would expect at the beginning that they, he couldn't find him. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was really nice, nice rendering, um, though you the background slightly... Yeah, what I think ILM nailed in that fight sequence is that, uh, as in any time we really saw it, I think in this film, the flying felt right. So if somebody was flying or jumping or doing something, they didn't feel like they were uh, sort of skewing across the screen or drifting or pulling off a move that uh, is impossible. Now, I'm pretty sure ILM did that for the original Falcon in uh, Captain America as well. And I remember thinking that in Winter Soldier, that the flight paths had a believability. In that, When you see a bird flying and it banks, you know, it doesn't just bank instantly. It banks to an appropriate level that the aerodynamics would allow, and it just feels right. And when these guys banked and did stuff, okay, they were quite dramatic. But nevertheless, Falcon didn't feel like he was uh, just... had magic powder on and could move wherever he wanted he wasn't like a pixie that was just darting wherever he mm. wanted it felt like there was some justification for his uh his movements which i thought was good and i thought um, obviously there's this shot but there's the end sequence as well with with him with ant-man shrinking and growing and they had the whole premise of the fact that he could kind of knock people around and, and beat people up and as he would kind of shrink and grow he almost used the kind of velocity curve of coming in and out of that to, to flip people upside down. And, and I thought that all worked really well because it was probably quite hard to kind of work out, well, if he's growing from this position up in this direction and then he's taking someone with him who's then going to flip or, or get knocked over or something, how that all works. And none of those sequences of him in those kind of fight scenes getting bigger and smaller ever kind of took me out from an animation standpoint. It all felt believable if that's even possible right 
I mean, I didn't understand that logic. I didn't think I needed to, the density logic. Like, I'm sorry, he's as dense as he is, he's, he's big. So when a Ant-Man's on the end of your gun, it feels like a 60 kilo guy is on right. the end of your gun. <laughs> How does that work? What? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense. And if really and if he weighs that much and he's that dense, how does he get to jump off the floor up to your neck? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, so okay, so uh, that gets us to the final thing I wanted to discuss with you, Jason, which is the fight sequence with uh, Yellow Jacket. Did we feel like um, he was a good villain? Did we feel like those fight sequences were kind of? I mean, he has these pretty out there targeting laser things that seem to make him suitably invincible compared to our hero. Yeah, they were like uh steady cam arms almost. Yeah. Um I you know the the villain who is a capitalist who wants to make money by selling something to a government or entity that wants to use something for military gain that they shouldn't be doing is probably the oldest villain storyline in the world. But you don't get in trouble from any minority group if you have a an evil white guy wanting to sell things to other evil white guys. Yes. If, um, but, I'm se- se- semi-serious here, right? So I, no, I, I, I agree, and it follows the just general logic of most comic books usually have a military component to them like that. Um, you know, obviously the threat of a army of yellow jackets is a serious threat, right? And you don't want to go just the terrorist angle because that's just as annoying. Um, but, um, I mean, I think, I think the, 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 the villain was fine as a villain. It wasn't like, uh, a real, like superb villain. I, I mean, not in terms of acting, everyone did their job fine. Just, uh. Conceptually, um, I thought Yellow Jacket looked really good. I, I really liked the, the sequence where Ant Man got caught in the little like lens case in the right. display room. Yep, uh, I thought that was that was done really well. Um, especially, you know, I'm a stickler for like chromatic aberrations on the edge of edges of glass and stuff. Uh, and I thought that all you know bent out really nicely. Because there are quite a lot of staging problems with having the audience know where an ant is in a shot on a film, you know, like it's, right. and you need him to not be on the floor because that's really bad framing. So right. conveniently having him at eye height, but we know where he is, even if we can't see him, it was a very yeah. good piece of staging. Yeah. Well, it's like Jaws, you know what I mean? Just give me some barrels and I know where the shark is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just need, you need that point of reference, you know, um, which is also why the echoes work because you he by the time he's small you still see sort of where he was and it it gives you a framework visual framework for the audience. Um, I I thought Yellow Jacket overall as an animated character I think it looked really cool. Uh, you could see they did really good job, even though it was super subtle. And they could have just as easily blanked out. Uh, the actor's face and just made the f- helmet totally opaque. They left it transparent just enough so you could see their face in there. They could get a little bit of emotion, even in a wide shot um, of what they were doing, um, of what of what he was, you know, uh, doing as a character. And uh, I really liked the sort of gimbally nature of the of the laser arms, like 
they had to stay targeted while he moved around. So, so the gimbal sort of area was back at his back. So it could swing and sway while keeping the, the laser pointers kind of, you know, steady. Otherwise he'd be shooting all over the room, you know? (laughs) Uh, so I thought that was really nice. I, and I liked the, uh, the way it played into that, the bedroom sequence where he was running through the carpet and, you know, he kind of had like a, like a, you almost got like a, a, a wide, medium and close in macro because you had the wider shot from like over the entire playset, and you saw the the carpet getting its uh, getting it like it was just separating, and then you got a little closer where you saw him firing into the carpet, and then you were in the carpet uh, with Ant Man running where he was clearly you could see him making his pathway like it's even at that macro level, they were still able to convey like the wide, medium, close kind of, you know, shot structure. Okay. Well, at the close of the show now, can I go fanboy for a second and say, could somebody explain to me what happened at the very, very, very end of the film with Falcon and uh, Captain America and Bucky? I couldn't hear. The audience was too enthusiastic. Wait, where was that? I didn't, didn't see that. Watch, I saw. You didn't watch the end, 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 end credit. No, I saw the little thing with uh, what's her name as the wasp. Yeah, and then, no, no, that and was I the... assumed that was the end. No, no. Oh, come on! I didn't know there was a double end. Yeah, yeah, and a, and a real uh, civil war thing. Oh crap! No, I have to go see it again. <laughs> Matt, I did see it, and um, I like you. I wasn't entirely sure what what was going on. They. It sounded like they were discussing whether to tell, I think it was Iron Man. Yeah, they were going to tell Tony, but then there was that whole thing about you needed to talk to him earlier because of the something, which yeah. I couldn't quite work out what no, they were saying. It was, it was kind of quiet. I didn't get it either. I'm not sure what, what was actually going on. And then was Bucky captured with his arm in a, in a vice? I mean, I wasn't quite sure about that either. The last time we saw Bucky, wasn't he climbing out of a river? Was that where we where we left him after he'd, after the helicarrier sequence? Did he was he, he he pulled Captain America out of the river, didn't he? Left him on the bank and walked off. And I think that was the last time we saw him, right? Or had he? Yeah, I mean, we 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 know that you know he's going to reappear because he was. I mean, s- honestly, he was signed for about ten films, and I in the mythology of the show, the normal show, um, you know, uh, he's. Um, uh, I think he becomes Captain America. Right? I don't know if that's going to happen in the show or not. But what I didn't get is what the hell was going on at the end after um, he seemed to be captured and then they were... Mm. I mean, I'm presuming it's uh, Civil War and somebody that knows more than me will have picked up that one word that they said, <laughs> you should have told him before the X. And it was something like the Congress or something. And I was like, what? What, what was that? What was that? And of course, everyone had got up because they were all doing a Jason, right? Oh, we've seen the end bit after the credits. And I was like, no, shit down your kids. <laughs> so yeah, it's just too hard. They, they really were speaking quietly. Yeah. So anyway, if you go again, Jason, uh, you just have to be very, very yeah. quiet. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a a very subtle scene. Okay. Oh, excellent. All right. Well, then I've got no closer to solving that. If you guys are listening and you can tell me what exactly happened at the end of that, I'd much appreciate it. Uh, just. Uh, post on Twitter or, uh, or uh, send me a, a tag. Speaking of which, how can people get in touch with you? Matt, starting with you, where are you uh, online in social media? I am on the Twitters and you can just get me at Matt D. Leonard. That's the best place for me. Excellent. 
And uh, Jason? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters as Jason Diamond, one word, and my site, uh, thediamondbros.com. And uh, our new venture, Frame.io, Frame.io, uh, which uh, launched back in April and is doing quite well. Excellent. Brilliant. Um, and, of course, I'm Mike Seymour over on the Twitters. Well, it's been great talking to you guys. Uh, we have some more great films coming up. Uh, we're also heading to SIDGRAPH, so if you are going to be at SIDGRAPH in L.A. in about a week or two, uh, try and uh, see if you can spot us, say hi, stop, um, have a beer, whatever. Uh, we're always keen to uh, talk to fans, talk to people. We know a lot of people from the industry listen to this show, and, of course, therefore, they'll go to uh, to the uh, show. We also, of course, long range looking down the pipeline of some Star Wars, um, some more X-Men, a whole bunch of stuff uh, all coming down the pipe. So uh, final installments of uh, various things um, uh, to do with Mockingjays. So a bunch of good films still to come and some more retro shows coming. But until then, I'm Mike Simmel. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. See you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC. Thank you.